Hello. Hi, is that Peter? Yeah, this is Peter. Hey everyone, this is Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Peter Sis, the Czech-born author-illustrator of three Caldecott honor books, including The Wall, which also won the Seibert Medal. He is the first children's book illustrator to win the MacArthur Fellowship and also won the Hans Christian Andersen Award. Today, we talk about his latest gorgeous book, Nikki and Vera, A Quiet Hero of the Holocaust and the Children He Rescued. Since I can't share the stunning artwork with you right now, I'm going to begin by reading the book synopsis. In December 1938, a young Englishman canceled a ski vacation and went instead to Prague to help the hundreds of thousands of refugees from the Nazis who were crowded into the city. Setting up a makeshift headquarters in his hotel room, Nicholas Winton took names and photographs from parents desperate to get their children out of danger. He raised money, found foster families in England, arranged travel and visas, and, when necessary, bribed officials and forged documents. In the frantic spring and summer of 1939, as the Nazi shadow fell over Europe, he organized the transportation of almost 700 children to safety. Then, when the war began and no more children could be rescued, he put away his records and told no one. It was only 50 years later that a chance discovery and a famous television appearance brought Winton's actions to light. Peter Siss weaves together Winton's experiences and the story of one of the children he saved, Vera Gissing. Nikki and Vera is a tale of decency, action, and courage told in luminous, poetic images by an internationally renowned artist. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I think the book is gorgeous, which I wouldn't have expected any less from you. And I just think the whole story is just incredibly moving. So I will get started. Yeah, you're welcome. The backstory of how your book came to be is really moving. Will you share a little bit about the trip you took to Prague with your son that inspired the story? Sure, sure. So this is, uh, he was 15. So now he's 10 years, it's uh, 10 years ago. And being being from Prague, I knew bits and pieces of this story, but I never. It was a story which was with me my whole life about people who went to England on the trains. It didn't quite make sense, but sometimes things don't make sense. People who survived the war, people who. But it was when I was young there was no knowledge of a person like Nicholas Winton. So that only was discovered in the eighties, uh, and 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 then. I was living in New York already, and um, 
we had our children. And at, when, when my son was 15, on the way to Bologna Book Fair, I think we, we stopped by in Prague uh, to, so I would show him like father and son before he gets too old, my favorite spots in Prague. And, and we, I think my Czech publisher, he said, come to the National Museum, there will be some event. And we, we walked with my son to the National Museum and the lobby was full of people, uh, sure, sort of like uh, middle-aged people cutting giant cake with uh, steam train or steam engine on, on, on the top. So it was like sort of curious. And they were talking and slowly but surely we discovered they talking about Nicholas Winton, who was just celebrating his 100th birthday. And he uh, he wasn't there. I always thought he was there. But this just brought up the question of who was Nicholas Winton with, with my son, who being 15, we talked that whole trip about who are the heroes, uh, sports heroes and moral heroes and war heroes and science heroes. And I, I did my books always about somebody who I said, oh, he was such a hero, Galileo Galilei. Everybody was against him, but he prevailed. Or uh, Charles Darwin or my father who went to Tibet. But these were always very visual, very, very sort of uh, visible heroes to all the other people. And I used to say in interviews, oh, I'm sure in the million children today, there is one Galileo and there is somebody who's a famous painter. And everybody was like famous and big. And all of a sudden with Nicholas Vinton, this was the man who was low key, unassuming his whole life. He didn't say anything. And that was sort of fascinating thing because people only in time of 50 years after the war found out that he was responsible for saving uh, almost 700 children from from pre-war Prague. Nicholas Hinton always said, I am not a hero, I wasn't ever in danger, but his action in 1938, because it was this time, this time just before Christmas, when he uh, is a young, um, I think he's a stockbroker then, and he goes from London, he, he has a vacation for three weeks, and he's supposed to go on skiing trip with his friend to Switzerland and then the friends have come to Prague uh, there's like a trouble or whatever he just has come and it sounds first that they're just going to meet in Prague and go on this skiing trip and he comes to Prague and it's just Christmas of 38 and it's already after Kristallnacht and then it's already after um, the Germans uh, sign the Munich agreement and take over the border regions of what is Czechoslovakia and he finds out these kids and people who escape from the border regions they are in some awful despicable camp in Prague and he's he sort of coincidentally they take him on the tour of these these camps and he also meets some other brave young Englishmen who are making lists of people who should be uh, who should be saved from this uh, part of Europe because there is a danger that Hitler might come. But lots of people don't believe it. Lots of people think, no, Hitler cannot cross the borders. Hitler will not come. And there are even refugees from Germany getting Czech uh, passports like Thomas Mann and Heinrich Mann who come escaping to Prague and many other people who who escaping Hitler. And But Winton has his own idea, even he's only 29, and he says, no, no, this will be a disaster, this will be a uh, world conflict, and we have to save as many children as possible. And he arranges with these other people who have lists of Catholic children and with lists of Protestant children and who have different lists. He puts all this together. He sets up office in Prague and all um, 
immediately people hear about it and from six o'clock in the morning till late night uh, families or mostly mothers come to uh, sign up for this trip to to england and that's what uh, in europe there's no other country in the world which would be accepting refugees and also they must have a foster family in the country they're going so there must be people who would would uh, agree to take a child which would live with them and of course, England has no idea that would be part of the World War II. And, and it's also amazing that Vinton probably being a very good administrator in the Indian business and everything, he knows exactly how to um, fill all the papers, ask for visas, deposit money. He, when, when things are, if the bureaucracy, bureaucracy takes too long, he makes his own stamps. And it, he sets this whole thing in three weeks in Prague from the hotel where he signs up these kids, talks to people who are running the trains, talks to people who would let the trains to go through Nazi Germany, through Holland, on the ships to England, makes, I think, his own visas because the kids don't have the visas to United Kingdom yet, but he knows he will have the proper visas waiting at the border, so it's not like he's he's uh, smuggling them in. But the biggest part is then he goes back to London, he has this whole operation set up in Prague, and in London with his mother from his basement, and this is after he goes to work every day to, to count uh, whatever stockbrokers count, and in in his spare time he, he puts these ads in the most sort of cheesy and, and, and pedestrian newspapers for the families which would um, take a foster child. <laughs> he finds out that the best pictures are if the child is smiling. And, <laughs> and, and so sort of like he uses all the tricks. And he also writes letters to all the world leaders. He, there's a letter to President Roosevelt who wants to help him, but this whole thing, again, like today, has to go through the Congress if it would be approved. And of course, he it's only three months before the war will start, which nobody knows in that time. So the first train with these children leaves in March, and this is just the day when the Germans take over all of what they call Czech uh, protectorate, Czech and Moravia, because Slovakia becomes fascist state independent of this. So when the Germans marched in on the um, in March, then, then the first train is leaving, and then after that, seven more trains go through. And the last train, which is supposed to be the ninth train with 250 children, is supposed is leaving 1st of September 1939, and that's the day the war breaks out when uh, Nazis attack um, Poland. So the train never leaves. I, I in the book, I took a liberty that I show the train being stopped on some border, but the train never left, and I think almost all children were never accounted for. I knew the story of, of Vinton then as being very simple, story because he, what is also amazing that once the war breaks out, he knows his it's over for him with this. He can't do any more. He always says, I could have saved thousands of children if I got more response. But he just uh, goes on. He puts all the documents he, he got left or given to him in Prague into, into the um, crate. Uh, and doesn't talk about it. After the war, then he meets uh, this wonderful Danish woman. They marry. They have three children. He he works in different um, different uh, positions. He establishes the whole chain of old people's homes in England called Abbott Houses. There is one wonderful story when he goes to the 
meeting of the board of the Abbott Houses, and there is a man with a terrible Czech accent like I have, and he says, where did you get this this accent from? And man whose name is Mr. Vassar, he says, I came on the train to England. And Winton asks him and says, like, which train did you come on? And he said, oh, I don't know. I was a little child. And and, and Winton says, let me find out. And he goes back to his uh, crate with his documents. And then he comes back and says, Mr. Vesely, you came on the train in June, I don't know, 15. Now I'm making that. And Mr. Vesely doesn't even wonder, like, how does Nicholas know about it? He just says, thank you very much. His crate with all his documents is in the attic. His children grow up and then... The wife is cleaning the attic, finds the box, says, what is this? What are these papers? And he says, you can, you can just, you know, throw it out. It's, that's so long ago and it doesn't have any meaning now. And she, uh, insists that, that it does have meaning, takes it to, uh, someone who's doing, writing book about Holocaust and the whole thing becomes like public. And the woman who's writing the book and, 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 Vice of Intent trying to contact these children. They are like addresses from the time of the war. They hear back from like 200 children. And and then there is a famous famous television program of BBC when Linton is invited, but under like he thinks it's about the retirement homes or something. He doesn't has no clue that it's about what he did during the war. And there are all these people fighting to sit next to him. He doesn't understand. They are like middle-aged people with gray hair. And then the woman, the announcer of the show, says, well, um, we have a story here of this man who saved the children. And he starts to like understand, oh, my God, she's talking about me. And then she says, if there are any people who were somehow connected to would have anything to do with these trains, please stand up. And, and these people next to him stand up. <laughs> and Vera, actually, it's a real Vera starts to kiss him. She's sitting next to him. And it's the first time when all these people would see the face or would know who was behind their escape because he never talked about it. And he's, and he's so touched in, in some sort of like English reserved way. He has like a wiping tears from his eye. I sort of knew, but it was impossible to do just the story of the good man who then in the end is rewarded for being so so nice. And then I got the book about Vera Gissing, who was a little girl who was nine years old um, when 1938, when this happened, and her mother, she lives in the small town outside of Prague, that uh, everybody was friendly in their small town, and I think that's also why I wanted had Vera as a counterpoint to what was happening in the world. And her mother, just because her mother is sort of cautious, and uh, she signs her up for, for this trip to England, they think maybe she will go for two months, three months, can stay with the family, we will send her clothes, we will, we will uh, somehow pay for her stay, and she will come back home, and she's even hero in her village because she will go so far to the kingdom of England where they have king and so everything is so, sort of that before the tragedy strikes and then the German army marches in they sort of they start to see the danger and they counting the days when she leaves she kisses all the relatives uh, her grandpa her her cousins are supposed to follow on on 
another train, but that will be the train which never makes it. And and she comes to England, and she's a little girl, and she, she writes still letters for three months to her parents, and parents write back because they can still get letters to each other from through Switzerland, and then all of a sudden everything everything goes quiet, and then the war begins, and and then the bombing of of. England and her moving to the Czech school in Wales and her becoming sort of grown-up adolescent in the end of the war. She doesn't know really until 1943 when from BBC she hears about what's happening to um, Jewish people uh, and the concentration camps. And But that, that would be a different story and another book. She comes back home and she finds out that it's she can't she can't stay there because the house still looks the same but everybody vanished in 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 the second world war in that i sort of jumped that whole period when she has a family nicholas winton has a family then she's invited to go to come to this bbc studio as he is and when the story is told they realize that they uh are connected and and in real life all these children who now were in their 60s and 70s sort of became Vinton's family and and became his children and in the book of the daughter of Nicholas Vinton her mother wife of Nicholas complains that they had a very quiet life and since he wasn't at television every day some child would be coming visiting to have tea or cake so but he loved it and then he got all kinds of awards and was knighted and was uh, no, actually, he was knighted for those senior homes before, which is funny. But he was—he became like a symbol and inspiration to children all over the world. And I barely miss him in the National Museum because in that time he was um, in the wheelchair and he waited for it. all these people from Prague when we seen them with my son, got on the train, which was the same train and went the same route exactly. Um, 50 years uh, later, after they did it as children, to London, to Liverpool Street Station, and he was waiting for that train in, in the wheelchair. So he still lived six more years, but I, in that time, didn't know how to go about the book. He was always denying that he's a hero. Then, then I found out that ancient definition of a hero was one who defends, which would be like he really was... Uh, was defending decency and humanity and until now I didn't think about it how it's connected to all the refugees of uh, today coming through Greece little children or coming through Mexico and and the wall that uh, the parents when they are desperate and looking for some sort of solution for their children would agree that the children go go alone. I watched the 60 Minutes video, yeah. the clip, and the BBC, and I spent a good portion of yesterday afternoon with tears in my eyes because it it's such... I, I, I'm at a little bit of a loss for words, but it's really such an incredible story. And the fact that he did not... You know, he it wasn't a public story that he did keep it to himself, and so yeah, I. That's incredible yeah, that he never looked for any um, recognition, like especially today when everybody's looking for some uh, social media tweets or numbers. Like, he he just didn't do it. Right. At that moment when he 
when he tears up, it's just like probably the most touching moment on television because it's so sincere. Uh, I don't know. I just realized that um, because this book took some time and then you never know when the book will come out and the vis-a-vis -vis what, what's happening in the world and what's going on. And so I don't know where it fits because now it was very hard. I still haven't seen the book. It's coming like next week because everything was so awkward with printing it and talking just on Zoom about not really seeing the proofs of the process. So I hope everything works like that because this is a very strange time indeed. Yeah, it is. Well, I actually wanted to ask you, all of your books are, are really deeply personal and I was wondering about the timing of when you created the artwork and you were going over the proofs. How how did working on this book differ from any of the other books that you've worked on? Well, this this went on for a long time. I got really stuck way before COVID. With I had a big exhibition in Prague. I just got stuck with like, how do I make it work if he's just from outside he's so good that it's impossible to do because from outside he everything is positive he fences he wins he learns languages he travels then he saves the children he doesn't talk about it he works for the ice cream company and his daughter says he would bring home ice cream every day. he's just a really really good guy which was almost impossible to like how do you do a book like that and then I think it was my wife's idea that she split those two stories, sort of even that they, they were not parallel in, in the way that he's 29 and so she's 20 years younger. But both of them start, you start a book when they are really children. And then, and then it was that first page of the book which says, well, 20th century was so full of promise with all the inventions and technology and ideas that people would have equal wealth and stuff like that and then bang the first world war and bang the second world war and and everything was upside down so i think it was and i thought it was a, a good message of somebody who can help because i probably in my life could have helped much more very often but i wouldn't i wouldn't think of it because it wouldn't be the norm and also if you're in the society when he was he, he was going skiing he could have easily said well this is terrible these children are a big trouble but we already paid for the hotel so i'm going to ski and and he didn't and that i admire and i can see how my children who are now grown up think about it and when do you make these decisions when so this was sort of not telling how to do it but just like bringing somebody who wouldn't be obvious hero even in the end of his life he was and also there are <clears throat> one of the children from the train who lord Al alfred dubs he's in the House of uh, Lords in, in in England, and he still fights for. Uh, he, he's very involved with the um, children refugees, which are let's say stuck in France or Greece, and he wants England to. So he fights for it, and he's one of the. And then I found out that all these children now I'm in touch with like five, I think, of very wonderful people who were children on the train, and they all are trying to do something which would be benefiting society, talk about what happened. One is a principal of school or retired now in Boston. And there are, one is in New Haven who works in the community. His whole life he was working. They, they all are dedicating their lives to um, to do something for, for uh, society. And 
And this is, again, not choosing the children who were on the train who became famous film directors or scientists. So one was the head of Israeli Air Force. Uh, so there are lots of connections still to that time. Uh, you have Madeleine Albright, who wasn't on the train but had to leave Prague under similar conditions in 1938, or Tom Stoppard, who uh, became the English uh, dramatic. So it, 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 it's still this whole story. Uh, for me, I'm still discovering more and more things about it. I know everybody says, you know, you don't want to like live in the past and be present and yeah, live in, totally, the, yes. in the future. But if you don't, if you don't remember and you don't look back at the lessons to take away and, and this, the message of resilience as well, these are so important. And, and so that's why I think your book fits that we need the message that there's always hope. You, you need to be resilient and that taking a moment to do something that is for others instead of for yourself um, and making yes, it is very well. That's exactly. Yeah. Making the choices like, like Nicholas Winton did, like you said, like he could have gone on that vacation, but he didn't, he saw something that needed to be done and he chose to do it. Right. Do it. And it was also, it's a message about human decency and about people um, being together and, and, I also had a chance, and there are pictures I didn't include in the book. It was quite amazing because he was my focus of the book, and Vera became like um, uh, you could see what what what's happening to this child. But then I had a, like a picture of lots of children. I found out from uh, looking at the material because they were in the age they said, "Oh, this is going to be such a great trip. We're going to England. I'm going to be a famous footballer." And I think I will see all these princes, it, 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 the reality was mostly it was shocking. It again was like applicable to um, some fears uh, this year that people were so blind to saying like, oh, Hitler, it will go away. Nothing will ever happen. Nobody can change the democracy. So there were like little little things which I think can be useful besides, besides his his sort of uh, heroic doing that uh, can still apply today because it's so far away, but also some of it feels very, very uh, current. So absolutely, um, that, that I hope will more than the books, which would be just about. Not that I would put down the books I did before, but sometimes it was too, too, too simplified. Like uh, Galileo looks at the stars, and even nobody likes him. I couldn't get into the feelings of. If Galileo felt upset, I know he was fearful when he had to go and see the Pope. But it was sort of far away. Here, this is so much uh, closer because all of a sudden I even talk to these people and um, they are still here. And I I, uh, I forget if it was the 60 Minutes or the BBC, um, but one of the journalists, you know, made the point that he on the trains that he saved almost 700 children, right. which now that number based on children yes, is yes. like 1500, you know, that, yes, that's 1500. Yes, I, think even more. Yeah. I think that's wonderful, too. I, I, I wanted to have a tree of life in the end because like. It's uh, they had families. Uh, yeah, you, it's a very good point that from these 669 children, it's now a thousand. And um, 
And it just shows how the humanity works, really. And and one of the children sent me the the page uh, of the English newspaper with the ads of English people, mostly working class English people in 1938, who are responding, offering that they would take a child to to their home. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely touching. It's just so wonderful because some of them say, I only want to have a girl. And <laughs> But in the way, it's just, um, it's outpouring of, it's, it's very noble of them. But I'm also sure it was because they had the law which enabled them to do it. If any other country had that situation, I'm sure that you would find kind people who were prepared to do this any place. I wanted to ask you about the color palette that you used, because for both Nikki and Vera, it's different, but yet they, the color palettes right. also intertwine. So can you share a little bit about your artistic thinking about that choice of the different colors? Well, there was. I, I wanted her to be childish and sort of because she says in her book she never experienced evil or mean people or somebody speaking bad to her until she was nine. There's a big shock in her book because really first time she experiences um, some horror of, of some danger is when the German army comes to their house and the officer treats her father very bad. In the book, it's even like he spits on him because he's refusing to speak German. And then she's in shock because she had this very innocent and beautiful childhood. So I wanted these pictures to be like children's pictures. But then again, I didn't want to try to make it like really children's pictures because I think children's drawings are ingenious, but it's because they don't think of what it's going to look like or whatever. They just are happy to do that. So I came up with this idea of like colorful, idyllic uh, landscape when she knew that the big city is somewhere in distance. There are two rivers near her town. The town, she says, is very friendly because people are all very friendly. Um, and, and she's like a little girl who's like a princess and she takes care of all the cats who she feeds in their barn, so the parents always are horrified because there are many, many cats. So that was the idea from the beginning that she would be in this very colorful, innocent world, which then changes with the trip on the train. And that sort of gave me, I had to come up with um, opposing, more dramatic color of Nicholas Winton, not that he wasn't an amazing person, but he, even in his books and from his daughter's book, he, he's very, he's very guarded, very reserved. He's really English, English, um, gentleman of that time, but he goes to this amazing, um, revolutionary school in England, which just opens and it's a school in stove and, and they have this, um, new radical curriculum thanks to I think it's Mr. Roxburgh who was the educator who was the principal and he was he left the boys be free so then I have a picture like because they could keep any pet they wanted so in the book it's that somebody has a hyena and somebody has a um, goat and the, and and the uh, motto of the school it's um, put needs of others first and I thought it's sort of fitting for um, Nicholas's life. And the school was the foundation that he would, uh, I mean, he must have been empathetic as it is, but uh, the school helped to 
for him to think independently. For me, because he wasn't ever showing too much, it wasn't the time also to say, to be very emotional or to be very descriptive. So this this, this one color, sort of indigo with yellow, was fitting for him. So he would be more reserved uh, for the time when uh, the war is um, imminent. Uh, so, obviously, I was looking for something contrasted to her, um, the art director, then came up with this idea of brown uh, sort of frames around Vera's pictures because it was the color of the box she brought her things with her to England. So, and Bob co suggested this, these brown um, margins. And because I had this uh, sort of bluish color of, of Nicholas, then all the yellows were. Uh, then I wanted to make a point of uh, Germans taking over the border regions of, of Czechoslovakia. or And I, I, I didn't go into details with it because I really thought I used to do it in my previous books, but now with Google or with all, all kinds of things you can find out, I thought if anybody really wants to know the whole story of the uh, German rallies in Nürnberg or uh, Kristallnacht, you, you can go into details to um, to find out about it. Here it was more to, to say how difficult time it was. So Nicholas is in this bluish color, and I, I, I try to, and that helps me to switch from one level to another level, because they still, even they are close to each other, they don't meet uh, Vera and Nicholas. Nicholas was present a few times when the trains came to London, but he wasn't personally involved in, like, sort of, making sure that the children find the family. He felt like his work was done with the organization of this whole whole thing. And also because Vera was sort of done in these childlike colors, I didn't have to, I didn't want to get into cr cruelty of, of, of some moments and, and, and sort of bleakness. So it was still that hope of a little child that everything will be okay. And after they come to, to London when they go through this like a uh, it's like a sky full of stars full of fantasy because all these children some children were crying but most of the children had, had some sort of like expectations that they're going on adventure and even they would end up uh, in the uh, department on the train with three-year-old child with seven-year-old or 12-year-old child, they would take care of each other. Which just reminds me, it was a story of the little girl who gets a diamond ring from her mother, which is like a family, in family for hundreds of years, and the mother said, just be careful, don't, because this is family, treasure, whatever. And little girl goes on this train for three days and has that ring in her mouth and doesn't ever eat. But anyway, that I didn't put in the book. Then Vera comes out in the uh, train station in Liverpool Street Station in London and in her book she's the last child all the children are gone and she waits if she meets her family and many times these families in England were not well to do they were poor families and they were just so kind that they would have one child and would take another child to to live with them and then the colors sort of like become bleak because of the war and through the diary and years passing I tell the story of really, again, simplifying the end of war and Vera coming home when she finds that horror that everybody, that nobody survived the war. She had one, I think, aunt and 
sister who survived the war, but the parents, grandparents, everybody was gone. And she decides she cannot live uh, same place again. Again, there are much more complex stories to that because it was a big question about Jewish people returning from the camps and all of a sudden there were like all these, the society is completely shifted. So Vera goes back to England where she feels more at home. There are other children there. And then she has children of her own. Nicholas lives also alone until they get that phone call and they um, meet in the television studio. So then I didn't dare to put in any colors because everybody was more thinking about how they where when they were little children, some, I, I, this must be something I, I don't know, we don't know enough about uh, unless you live it, I guess, because that must have been so strange for them. Lots of them had memories from when they were little, smells, taste of some food, but some of them forgot completely. I think it's an amazing um, story of this child in Seabold's book called Austerlitz, which is about a boy who grows up in Wales and only as a grown-up person remembers that he really was a little child which was put on the train in Prague and was so these are the feelings I wouldn't dare because I wouldn't dare to describe because everybody must have a different different feeling and and then I came up with this idea of the tree of 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 hearts because all these people loved Winton he loved them back and uh, there are still, uh, this, this is sort of valid uh, somehow monument I have on the last page because you see all these other children coming to the shores of Europe trying to get to England, but it could be same way, the, the Rio Grande and coming from Mexico and uh, basically what's happening uh, again and again and again. So I think I shouldn't try to explain myself much more because I, I always hope that people will make their own conclusions yeah. uh, without uh, explaining too much. But then again, I know that... Yeah. I think you also just sort of described another reason why your book is a good fit for, for right now. So Now I'm nervous about what it will look like when it comes as a book. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, so, so this is where we are. It's a strange time, strange book. But I feel somehow it fits, as you said it, I mean, I don't exactly know if it's compassion, if it's uh, hope, if it's uh, resiliency, which is so important. It also shows that, yes, the people can solve almost impossible problems if they, if they try, if they dare. Now I'm also curious uh, next week when this book will go to the five or six children I know, what will they say? It will go to Vera, to her daughter, so we will see what if she feels okay how I depicted her family. <laughs> I hope so. I, I feel like that is going to be so moving for them. Yeah, I didn't dare to say because I was so surprised to find out that uh, they are all alive. And then I thought, oh, my God, if I knew. No, actually, I wanted to, when it's finished, to go see them in England. But obviously, we are not doing it now. So. Right. This way they will let me know, and 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 I can't wait. So I wanted to just tell you, I had a couple of of um, bits of your art that just really stood out to me, and we sort of talked about them. But one was the double page spread of 
everybody in the BBC show with all the figures, the adults with the overlaying image of their child self and just the words, everyone stood up. Because I had watched that BBC clip, I felt so moved by that particular double page spread. And then I I wanted to ask you about the Tree of Heart, which you already touched on. But then, so then most specifically, I think that I just... It was used on the cover, but Vera's silhouette filled with all of the multiple illustrations of her childhood. I just, that, that really gets me. I, I love that. And yeah, that's, that, that is obvious what I was trying to do with that. Uh, funny thing about the television show was that when he came and didn't know what it's all about because he didn't know anybody, he recognized that man who had a Czech accent who asked him about if he knows on what train he came. So he said, come on, sit next to me. And there were these women who were saying, no, no, he's sitting next to you. And he didn't know these women because he didn't know what will happen. So he was like, these are really rude women. And then they sit next to him. And only when the announcer, this, it was a very popular program in England, and said, these are the children he saved. They started to kiss him, and then he <laughs> so it's so very touching the whole thing. But then again, I, I I couldn't have painted that because so this is why they all standing and everybody has a little child sort of inside of them. Yes. And the tree with the hearts really is something which I can't put in words because everybody felt so much love to them, and he felt it's like with you parents or in the family when you cannot quite express the emotion. So this was trying to show the, not only the emotion, but the tree of life was also what you said about that the 669 children are now maybe 6,000, that there are families which say without him, they wouldn't exist really. So it's to show how, how things work in time. the British Red Bus, and the branding across the bus says Typhoo Tea, which I Googled, and it's, I guess this is a very popular tea, but it's been around since 1903, and I was just curious as to why you picked Typhoo Tea, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> no, I think you do, and I think it was just my memory of London, because in the same time, I grew up in the same country as these children in Czechoslovakia, but it, there was the iron curtain or the wall and, and our dream was to go to england so when i got to england for the first time and communists open up the border a little I, I just have this memory of red double deckers in in london and somehow i have a memory that they had this uh on them and i know that the editor of the book who comes from England, he was like laughing. I, I hope I, I, I'm not, it doesn't look like I'm, pro- it's just my memory of England was <laughs> So I put it there instead of just, to, it, 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 it's more my sentiment than it would be, than it would be uh, Vera's sentiment. It was just to show that's England and that's why I have that phone booth and the double-decker because that for me was uh, sort of symbolic for London or England. But um, Maybe I can, maybe I, I, I can call, they still exist, maybe I will send you lots of tea, I don't know. <laughs> and also, in England, everybody always said, we want a cup of tea, so exactly. it goes with that English lifestyle. Exactly. So, I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions just about you. So, the first one is, 
what problem, either yours or something more global, do you wish you could solve? What would it be? Well, now, I, now of course, it would be pandemic. Yes. But there are so many problems that I, I, I probably... <laughs> <laughs> no, but... I don't know. I would, I'm trying to always like put a little bit of some some hope in my books, but... Uh, okay, what yeah. what's on your nightstand? Do you have any books on your nightstand? Yes, I have... Uh... I have a book on <laughs> a book on Washington Irving, who uh, just because I want to do a project on it because he lived next to his house for years, and he was quite intriguing. An American writer who's now com- almost completely forgotten, and uh, we are in the area which is the home of the legend of uh, Sleepy Hollow and uh, Rip Van Winkle. So this is why this is the reading I have to do, sort of like because I w- want to do it. Then I have a book, Aperogon, A P E I R O G O N, by Colin McCann. It's a national book award. So that's a book about a little Israeli, little Palestinian girl. And then I have a new Czech book. My Czech publisher sent me from Prague and beautiful little book which I bought in Northampton and it's called A Month in Siena by Hisham Matar M-A-T-A-R I also read lots of books about the history of rock and roll that's not that that's just because of my music background so that's but this is, I was trying to give you like a better part of it. Okay. Can you tell us something that even most your loyal fans may not know about you? Hmm. That I met with Dalai Lama. This is all like show off. Did you meet the Dalai Lama? Oh my goodness. That's amazing. I read the Tibet book. I, I, I did the yes. Tibet book, so yes. I met Dalai Lama. That I was, a, that I was, how would you call it? I was the most famous disc jockey in Czechoslovakia and went on the tour with the Beach Boys. In 1969, when I would be announcer, or was it MC of the show of the Beach Boys? No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I, I would go and say, ladies and gentlemen, here they are from California, the Beach Boys. <laughs> that's and awesome. So, so that's quite sort of unusual. And, uh, and in 69, so I did interviews with all most famous groups from Led Zeppelin to Beatles to, uh, I don't know, Free Nice, uh, Steve Windwood, Eric Clapton. I was in London with my tape recorder because I was doing all these interviews for my radio show. And I would always draw a little portrait of whoever I was uh, interviewing. And then I would write an article because in that time I was writing a lot about music, but I was still living in Prague. So that was like a previous life. That's amazing. I, it's so, amazing now because now I'm not so, I wouldn't dare that much to go and say, hey, can I do an interview with you? I feel, I, I feel like you need to do a, your own autobiography or a memoir because your, your life, I'm sure, is so fascinating. But I want to do it because it was, uh, yeah, that's like an idea of, of coming to America because it was all misunderstanding and and it's about me and Maurice Sendak. So that's the idea. I would do that, but I have to hurry up when people still remember me. And I, I thought I will be doing lots of books through this uh, pandemic, but in the way it takes the spirit away, it goes, everything goes very slowly somehow. Yeah. I'm, I, 
Yeah, it's such a strange time. Well, I... I changed something. I thought some, some illustrators or musicians... Well, Paul McCartney said he did the whole record. Some people say they can work that much better because they are in isolation anyway, but I not for it doesn't work for me like that. No. Well, I, I, you I pro- probably need your outside inspirations, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else that you'd like to share about yourself, Nikki and Vera, or any future books? Oh. Well, it's just... Um, no, I think I would leave it to, it's, it's really hard to not to come with something trivial and to, it, it, that it's sort of, all of a sudden working on this book, it's reminiscent of, the, like how you should enjoy every moment with your family or because I think what was similar with these children when the, the parents put them on the train and was with me going to America just for a few months to make a film and saying goodbye to the parents and you you think you will be back in in a little bit and how how things can turn out completely different and you never see them again so that's that's just the more uh, that people sometimes don't appreciate what what they have that would be my observation but it's not really fitting with the book so i better i, I better not say anything meaningful like that or maybe you can make it up <laughs> <laughs> that that feels like uh, too much. Um, you're giving me too much power to make something up there. I think I think what you said was beautiful. So yeah, and it was a good. What I have on the stuck on the wall here is that the the, the what what somebody told me about a, a Greek definition of hero that the term applied to anyone godlike or mere mortal who took it upon himself or herself to defend in whatever way they could. So that I look at like Vinton defended in whatever way he could the humanity and hope and decency. So that I would leave as a as a answer for that last question. Beautiful Peter. Thank thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. No, thank you very much. Wow. I loved every second of my conversation with Peter Sis, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. And if you'd like to order a copy of Dickie and Vera, you can find it at any of your favorite bookstores. And to discover more amazing picture books just like this one, I hope you'll come visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.